Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Let me invite you this morning to take your Bible and join me in the book of Philippians, the first chapter, Philippians chapter 1. And I will read with you verse 19 through verse 21, though our text this morning is verse 21. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19 and reading through verse 21. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. William Wallace emerged from relative obscurity to become a national hero. He was a man of great courage and giftedness. Tragically, he was cut down in the prime of his life. And when he died, the people who loved him mourned his death greatly. He was very dedicated to what he believed. And he knowingly and willingly shunned a safer course of action, putting his life in harm's way, and as a result, dying the death of a martyr. He was arrested, brutally tortured, beaten, ridiculed. Basically, he would die alone with no words of comfort and no one consoling him. Much like the Apostle Paul in the cold damp Mamertine dungeon in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he would die with few or no friends at his side. You might say this morning, I find it odd that you would draw a comparison between William Wallace of Scotland, of Braveheart fame, and the life of the Apostle Paul. But then you have the wrong William Wallace in mind. For I'm not talking about William Wallace of Scotland this morning, but William Wallace, Bill Wallace of China, the martyred medical missionary. This William Wallace served the Chinese people for 16 years, only to be brutally murdered as a martyr for King Jesus on February the 10th, 1951, less than six years before I would be born. When I think of Bill Wallace of China, immediately Philippians 1.21 comes to my mind. It's my life verse. Even last night as I had the joy of speaking at a church in South Carolina near the beach, a lady came up and said, would you sign my Bible? I want to see what verse you will put under your name. And I said, that's easy. I always put the same verse, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is my life verse. It is the heartbeat of my life. It is what I want to be for King Jesus, to live for him, yes, to die for him, to live as Christ, and to die is gain. I believe no verse captures better 
the life of this man by the name of Bill Wallace. And so the outline for the message is really quite simple this morning. Point number one, for me to live is Christ. Point number two, to die is gain. First of all, then, for me to live is Christ. Bill Wallace was a Jesus-intoxicated man. For Bill Wallace to live was Christ. Both in word and in deed, he proclaimed the gospel. He did it quietly. He did it without much fanfare, but he did so very, very effectively. Bill was born in 1908, the son of a physician there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Initially, he had very little interest in medicine. In fact, he was very interested in things mechanical, especially cars and motorcycles. But even then, God was providentially preparing him for what he would face as a medical missionary there in China. It was at the age of 17, while working, working on a car in the family garage, that a nagging question came once again to the heart and the mind of Bill Wallace. What should I do with my life. No. What would God have me do with my life? And very simply, very quietly, with a New Testament in his hand, the decisive decision was made. He would be a medical missionary. Seventeen years old, young men and young ladies, and he set the course for his life right then. The date was July the 5th. 1925, he never looked back. He never wavered from uh, that commitment. The next 10 years, he would spend preparing to be a doctor. He would turn down a multitude of lucrative offers to remain in the States and practice his medicine uh, uh, expertise and be a doctor right there. But as the time of his medical practice was growing to a close, his medical preparation... There was a prayer going up over in Wuchow, China, coming from the lips of another medical missionary by the name of Dr. Robert Badeau. He was at the Stout Memorial Hospital. He wrote a letter to the Foreign Mission Board saying, we need another medical missionary. We need a surgeon. And he was hitting his knees daily saying, Lord, give us a surgeon. At almost exactly that moment, Bill Wallace, at the end of his medical training, sat down and he wrote this letter to the then Foreign Mission Board. My name is William L. Wallace, and I am now serving as a resident in surgery at Knoxville General Hospital, Knoxville, Tennessee. Since my senior year in high school, I have felt God would have me to be a medical missionary. And to that end, I have been preparing myself. I attended the University of Tennessee for my pre-medical work and received the M.D. from the University Medical School in Memphis. I did an internship here at Knoxville General and remained for a surgical residency. I am not sure what you desire by way of information, but I am a single 26-year-old, and I am a member of the Broadway Baptist Church. My mother died when I was 11, and my father, also a physician, passed away two years ago. There were only two of us, and my sister Ruth Lynn is planning marriage. I must confess, I am not a good speaker, nor apt as a teacher, but I do feel God can use my training as a physician. As humbly as I know how, 
I want to volunteer to serve as a medical missionary under our Southern Baptist Foreign Mission Board. I have always thought of Africa, but I will go anywhere I am needed. On July the 25th, 1935, ten years to the month, From the time he made his garage commitment and recorded it on the back leaf of his New Testament, Bill was appointed as a medical missionary to Wu Chow, South China. You see, for Bill Wallace, Jesus Christ was everything. On September the 1st, 1935, just five weeks after his appointment and just a few days before he would leave for China, he spoke to his home church and listened to what he said. I want to express to you my sincere and heartfelt appreciation in making it possible for me to go to China as your missionary, your ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may ask, why do I want to go to China? And there spend my life and energy. You might say there is much to be done in this country. And many have said you can do a lot of good here. Why should I go when there are such hardships and inconveniences? The only answer I have is that it is God's plan that I go. And God's call was so definite to me, I think he made it definite for me so that there would be no doubt in my mind as to God's plan. So that through the long years of preparation, there would be no doubt that I was doing God's will. That has been a comfort And a joy to me. And I've often thought, if God can be for me, who can be against me? I want to go because of the needs. And how great is that need? And China today is ready and willing to hear and accept the gospel of the Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 we read, The harvest truly is great. Pray ye therefore that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. In our mission field today, in China and in other countries, hundreds and thousands are going to their death without knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because we do not have enough missionaries to tell the story. And by the way, I was thinking about this the other day. We have a little over 5,000 international missionaries. We have almost 45,000 churches. That means it takes nine churches to produce one missionary. There's something badly wrong with that picture. Bill Wallace says, I want to go to China because someone has prayed. And God has heard these prayers and he has answered as he always does when God's people pray. I would rather be going out as God's missionary this morning than anything else in the world. If there's one final word or request that I leave with you, it is this, that you would pray for me. Pray daily that this, your humble servant's ministry and work, might be all that God would have it be. For Bill Wallace, to live was Christ. It was all about Christ. It was all about Jesus. This would indeed affect a number of important decisions that he would make in life. One example, he never married. Bill Wallace never married. Oh, there were a number of ladies that found the young, tall, thin doctor a very attractive candidate. In fact, very interestingly, in 1935, right before he left for China, he went to Richcrest. And he took a very young, attractive lady with him. And many people said, this will become Mrs. Wallace. But she never did. 
And in fact, some years later, when asked what happened, she said, and I quote, marriage was out of the question. It would have been bigamy. Bill Wallace was already married to his work. Yes, for Bill Wallace, to live is Christ. But secondly, for Bill Wallace, to die is gain. Like William Carey, like Adoniram Judson, in many ways he was marked for death the moment he left America and went to China. During that time, China was a balding cauldron of political instability, and it had been that way for many years before Bill Wallace arrived. Upon his initial arrival in Wu Chow, he was informed that he would immediately have to get back on the boat and go back to Hong Kong because of all of the political unrest. But Bill said, no, I'm here, I won't go. It's upset the captain. And the captain said, well, if he stays, he needs to understand that I'm not responsible for his safety. Bill Wallace laughed and said, tell your captain to rest easy. He was not responsible for my coming here in the first place. And he doesn't need to be responsible for my staying here either. He would stay and he would love and serve the Chinese people for more than 15 years. His commitment kept him in China through a number of political uprisings, through the Japanese invasion of China, through World War II, and eventually the communist takeover of China. On more than a few occasions, he would talk and write back and would inform those who were keeping up with him that he had performed surgery with bombs exploding all around the hospital. In fact, on September the 17th, 1938, he wrote this very, I find it fascinating and almost comical letter to his sister Ruth. Dear sister, our hospital, our school, and our houses were bombed yesterday at 11 a.m. One bomb hit right in the middle of the hospital and three on the side. We are all saved. None of the hospital employees killed. A few hurt. Hospital full of wounded. Don't worry. We are all safe. Don't have time to write more. Don't worry, William. Somehow, I suspect she found that very difficult to do. During World War II and the Japanese invasion, they were forced to abandon Wu Chow, but they kept the hospital going. They went to the river on barges and they moved up the river, sometimes stopping at a place the uh, Japanese would move in, they'd get back on the river, go on up again. By the way, that's why now we know that God had given him such an interest in mechanical things because not only was he a great doctor, he could also fix things mechanical. And so he kept the boat moving. He kept the generators running again and again and again. God had prepared him perfectly for the assignment that he gave him. On a number of occasions, he was admonished, you need to leave, you need to get away, you need to go back to the States, it's too dangerous. But he said, no, 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 and made this statement, I will stay as long as I am able to serve. There was on one occasion when a family lost a small child. Heartbroken, Bill ministered to them, telling them about the fact that Jesus loves all the little children including their little child as well. Dr. Badeau pointed out that upon Bill Wallace's arrival, revival broke out at Stout Memorial Hospital there in Wu Chow and spread to the other heirs. He dated the beginning of a revival with the arrival of this doctor. 
But listen to this testimony that was given by a Chinese person as to Bill's ministry to them during his time there. I quote, It was while at Folk Luck that I saw Dr. Wallace refuse his rice allowance and give it to a nurse who was desperately ill with fever. Most of us were sick with diarrhea or fever later on. I saw him behind the cook tent we had rigged up. He was eating grains of burned rice, hardly palatable, that had been thrown away. When he realized I had seen him, he was terribly embarrassed. No, he wasn't ashamed of eating that food. He wasn't ashamed of eating that which no one else would have. I believe he was embarrassed because he did not want me to know how hungry he was. He was so thin. I thought he would blow away if a good wind came along. Somehow, however, he stayed well. He showed us how to eat the bones of what few fowl we found to get needed vitamins. I believe his unorthodox methods saved all of our lives during this period. He was so good watching over each of us, cheering us, caring for the sick, and doing everything he could to provide for our comfort. And listen, listen to this. I don't want to offend you, Miss Wright, but we Chinese are not used to seeing Americans or Europeans do things like this. We know the missionaries love us, but there was always a difference. They lived their way, and we lived ours. But Dr. Wallace didn't know about the difference. He was one of us. He accepted our portion, all of it. What was said about Bill Wallace by those who knew him? Very quickly, quote, If you want to find him, Find the sickest patient in the hospital. There he will be. Quote, Bill Wallace was a doctor. His basic ministry was one of healing. But he was in China, first of all, as a bearer of the good news of Jesus Christ. The glad tidings of forgiveness and eternal life inherent in the old, old message of God's love. Sometimes his soft, stuttering witness to that grace was more effective than the most eloquent evangelist plea. Quote, this is Bill Wallace speaking first. With me, it's different. I'm the one to stay. I'm just one piece of man without other responsibilities. Now the response. One piece of man. It was an old Chinese saying used courteously to deprecate one's value. It indicated a single, unencumbered, expendable person. By it, Bill meant his life was the only one at stake. He was the one thus seated by circumstances prepared by God for this moment. He was the one to stay on in the face of the unknown, to give the Stout Memorial Hospital and the Baptist Witness every chance to continue, living once the red blight arrived. I'm just one piece of man. Ed Galloway repeated the conversation to his wife as the ferry carried them to Hong Kong. Bill Wallace had stayed behind. He really meant it. He had no concept of his own worth and no anxiety for the future that I can see. Later by a Chinese believer concerning what they called their Y.I. song, that's how they pronounced Wallace, he actually lived before us. The life of Christ. That's what people said about 
Bill Wallace. Very quickly, what did Bill Wallace say himself? Quote, I am more aware of my limitations than I have ever been. I guess my problem is that I have been imposing my limitations on God. On returning to China during World War II, quote, I'm not going back because I'm heroic. Actually, I'm a coward. But I want to go back because it's where I'm supposed to be. Quote, Every effort has been put forth to fulfill the mission of this hospital. The blind receive their sight, and the halt and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. It is our hope and prayer that the medical service in this institution shall be on that high plane befitting the glorious gospel which is preached daily within its walls. Following Pearl Harbor and America's interest into World War II, we'll do what God wants us to do. It doesn't make any difference what happens to us. The only important thing is that when it does happen, we be found doing the will of God. That was Bill Wallace's heart. What about his death? What about his home going? John Piper tells the story of two elderly women, medical missionaries who died on the mission field serving the Lord Jesus. And his pastoral evaluation is so, so strong and so on target, it really sets the stage for what I'm about to share concerning Bill Wallace. So, first of all, listen to what John said about these two medical missionaries who died on the mission field. As many of you know, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards died this week in Cameroon in a car accident. Ruby in her 80s, Laura in her 70s. Ruby gave all her life in medical missions among the poor. Laura, a doctor who practiced in India for many years and then here in the Twin Cities, was giving her retirement for the bodies and the souls of the poor in Cameroon. Both died suddenly when their car went over a cliff. Was that a tragedy? Well, in one sense, all death is tragic. But consider this. Ruby Eliason... And Laura Edwards, at their age, could have been taking it easy here in retirement. Think of tens of thousands of retired people spending their lives in one aimless leisure after another. That is a tragedy. The fact is, Jesus Christ took authority to make Ruby and Laura valiant for love and truth among the poor and the lost and the diseased of Cameroon, when most Americans are playing their way into eternity. That's the tragedy, not their death. And then he took them suddenly to heaven in their old age, in the very moment of their love and service and sacrifice and without long drawn out illnesses and without protracted and oppressive feelings of uselessness. That is not a tragedy. Rather, I say, give me that death, O Jesus Christ, Lord of the universe. Give me that life, that ministry and that death. He's got it right. So many of us have got it wrong. Bill Wallace. He's now 43. World War II is over. 
But the communists are now rapidly moving in to take over China. So as not to miss any of the details, I'll simply share very quickly from his biographer. On December the 18th, 1950, Bill Wallace completed an exhaustive day at Stout Memorial. Communist activities had been on the increase, and many missionaries had been evacuated from their field assignment. Bill Wallace chose to stay and serve. Early December 19th, before dawn, the Chinese communists lied their way into the clinic grounds of the hospital. Chinese soldiers ordered Bill Wallace and other workers out of their bedrooms and led them to the hospital proper. Immediately, the soldiers began to accuse Dr. Wallace of being an American spy in an attempt to discredit him before the Chinese people who deeply loved and respected him. Calmly and clearly, Bill Wallace responded to their accusations by saying, quote, We are what we seem to be. We are doctors and nurses and hospital staff engaged in healing the suffering and sick in the name of Jesus Christ. We are here for no other reason. The soldiers went to Bill's room and returned with a small handgun. There's no question it had been planted there after Bill was forced to leave his bedroom. There's no historical evidence that Bill Wallace ever owned or even shot a gun in his entire life. However, the communists had what they wanted. They arrested him, and his nurse assistant, Everly Hayes, was placed under house arrest. And here's what took place in his final days. Faced with wild charges of espionage, Bill was placed in a cell and left alone for some time. He was able to receive meals initially from the hospital and had an opportunity to tell his jailer of Jesus Christ and to preach from a cell window to two or three peasants who had gathered to hear him. A week after his arrest, the, uh, the, the communists turned away the man who brought Bill's food one morning. They said he would no longer be able to receive it. That night, a called meeting was held at one of the big town halls in Wu Chow, and all the citizens of importance were commanded to attend. There, the man who had arrested the doctor arose to inform the crowd that Bill Wallace had confessed to being a spy. They spoke of the gun and hinted at darker deeds that the doctor had done. They asked for those who had any accusation against Dr. Wallace to come forward with their charges. None came forward. What the communists had actually secured from Bill was a statement concerning his name, his age, his length of service in China, and other factual matters. Reading it and realizing it was all true, he signed it. They then typed into a blank part of the paper the statement that he had been sent to China as a secret serviceman by the United States government. This was the confession that he allegedly had made. The next day he was awakened early and shoved out into the courtyard where he realized for the first time he was not the only missionary being held. There were two Catholics there, a sister and a priest. A placard with obscene and derisive accusations and charges was placed over him, and his hands were tied behind his back. With others, he was marched through the streets to the Fu River and across to the main prison halfway up a hill, the same hill to which he'd gone so many times before to fellowship with his friends, the Christians and Missionary Alliance people. On the way, he was pushed by a guard, fell, and badly hurt his hand as he threw it out to break his fall. He received no care. Daily, sometimes hourly, often through the night at the prison, 
he would be awakened and brought to an interrogator's room. The world had not yet come to understand what is now known as brainwashing. This would be more fully realized following the Korean War. But this is exactly what Bill Wallace began to experience on a daily, sometimes an hourly basis. Their accusations viciously and vehemently proclaimed, bewildered, and upset him. They were shouted over and over again, growing in intensity. It overwhelmed him to hear of accusations of incompetence in surgery, of murdering and maiming Chinese patients, of performing illegal and obscene operations like abortions. It became very obvious to the Catholic missionaries who were in prison with Bill and who were later released that he was shaken and strained by the ordeal of the interrogation. Once as they were moving back into their prison cells, they saw Bill and simply asked how he was doing. With a tender smile, he simply said, I'm all right. I'm trusting in the Lord. From his cell on the night, Bill sometimes would cry in agony over the battle of that day. With pieces of paper and a smuggled-in pencil, he began to write short affirmations to try to keep his mind centered on the things that he could anchor himself to. Some of these were Scripture passages. Others were of his innocence. He would stick these on the wall of his barren room and would repeat them to himself over and over in an effort to prepare for the next round of interrogation. But each one came like a high wave. At times, it was all but overwhelming to him. Delirium, crying, blank periods came, but he fought on, clinging to his faith. His fellow victims, not yet subjected to the intensity of this brainwashing, helplessly watched this inhuman assault on one of the greatest men they had ever known. Frantically, they tried to reach him from time to time by calling through their cells, but it was a lonely battle which only Bill and the Lord who loved him and who somehow in the wildest delirium he affirmed could face. But then something went wrong. The communists plainly intended to brainwash their victim into an open confession, to have him repudiate publicly all that he was and all that he had stood for. They thought that their goal was soon in reach, but the tough spirit of the doctor would not capitulate so easily, and his protest continued to run through the night. The guards, driven by fear or perhaps guilt, came to his cell in the night with long poles and cruelly began to thrust them between the cell bars, attacking and jabbing the doctor again and again and again. Finally, he fell unconscious. He was dead. Forty-three years old. Sixteen years giving his life to heal the sick. And now he's dead. The next morning, the guards ran down the cell block crying that the doctor had hanged himself. Asking the two Catholic fathers in prison the cell to come with them. They went into the cell where the body of the doctor was hanging from a beam by a rope-braided quilt. The guards tried to get the fathers to sign a statement that he had committed suicide. They would not do so. Back at the hospital, they were informed that they could come now and get the body. But they would not let Everly into the cell, only the servant. 
But she instructed him to make sure that he took note of the characteristics of the body. All the characteristics of hanging were missing. No bulging eyes, no discolored face, no swollen tongue. Instead, the upper torso was horribly bruised. A cheap wooden coffin had been brought, and as soon as the body was dressed, it was put into the coffin and nailed shut. Bill Wallace, dead at 43. Those who worked close beside him were not allowed to see his body as they attempted to hide their brutal torture of this precious servant. Our nation was outraged, and God's people wept all over the world. Immediately, testimonies to this faithful missionary began to pop up. A letter from Dr. Theron Rankin, who then was the head of the Foreign Mission Board, quote, When God chooses someone to make a superlative witness of His love, He chooses a superlative child of His. He chose His own son, Jesus, to make the witness on the cross. And now it seems that He chose Bill to make this witness to give his life in love and service for the people whom he served fits in naturally and harmoniously with Bill's life. The two things go together because he was that kind of man. His life service among men bears out the testimony of his death. Bill's death was not the result of his being caught by a situation from which he could escape. He deliberately chose his course with a committal that made him ready to take any consequences that might come. Baker James Coffin, who was at that time his regional leader. Many things about the death of Bill Wallace make us think of the death of the Christ. The authorities were envious of his place in the hearts of people. They used falsehood to order, uh, in, in order to bring charges against him. They tried to represent him as an agent of the American government as the Jews tried to represent Jesus as one stirring up revolt against Rome. They sought to stir up public sentiment by calling large groups of people together. They subjected him to a bitter and cruel imprisonment. Just as in the case of Jesus, the enemies of the truth sought to discredit his testimony by declaring the disciples had come and stolen away his body. So in Wu Chow, the communist stated that Dr. Wallace had died by strangling himself. This nobody believes even a moment. By God's grace, this superlative servant's witness has not been forgotten. There is a wonderful biography by Jess Fletcher entitled Bill Wallace of China. I commend it to you. A motion picture based on the book was produced. In Puchan, Korea, there is the Wallace Memorial Hospital. The Baptist Student Union at the University of Tennessee Medical Center is named for Bill Wallace. And in Knoxville, there is also today the vibrant and growing Wallace Memorial Baptist Church. But brothers and sisters, the real tribute to Bill Wallace is not found in buildings, but it is found in those who have followed in his footsteps as missionaries. On January the 12th, 1985, a service was held at Wallace Memorial Church as the remains of Bill Wallace were finally returned to his home. Listen to the words of the pastor Dr. James McCluskey, I cannot imagine that this congregation of believers called Wallace Memorial Baptist Church would today have the same missions, concern, outreach, love, fellowship, and joy if it was known by any other name than Wallace Memorial. 
I know that the remains of Bill Lindsay Wallace live on in my own life, motivating and challenging me after these more than 25 years as pastor of this church named in his memory. But the remains of William Lindsay Wallace are going to Costa Rica tomorrow in the life and ministry of Patricia Stooksbury as she returns there to continue her missionary service. Fat Pat Pat felt God's call to missions and responded to that call in the missionary environment of a church called Wallace Memorial. The remains of William Lindsay Wallace are in Grenada, West Indies today, as Charlotte and Carter Davis served there. They experienced a call and response to serve in a spirit of missions concern cultivated in this church. The remains of William Lindsay Wallace are in Ecuador today, where Dale Maddox is completing the second year as a missionary journeyman. His missions experience came as a member of youth mission team sent out by Wallace Memorial Baptist Church. Indeed, the remains of William Lindsay Wallace are in the lives of more than 25 young people of this church who are today either serving or preparing to serve in church-related vocations and in the lives of thousands of others who have been inspired and led by his life. The remains of William Lindsay Wallace are scattered today into the uttermost parts of the earth where missionaries give witness that Jesus Christ is Lord. There was no funeral service for Bill Wallace. A lonely, solitary grave was dug. The nailed coffin lowered in, covered over, and then soldiers remained until the burial was complete, and then they drove away all those who had come to observe. However, his grave did not stay unmarked. Despite dangers to themselves, friends of this kind medical missionary gathered a small amount of money and they placed a little monument over that grave. Inscribed were seven single words that capture accurately this superlative servant of our Savior. They are, for to me to live is Christ. And you and I know the rest of the story. To die is gain. Brothers and sisters, here is a life worth living. And here is a death worth having. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, He has almost been removed from our memory. And that is a great loss. And I'm thankful that this summer you brought me again across the path of a man named William Lindsay Wallace, Bill Wallace of China, a Southern Baptist missionary who gave his life for King Jesus and for a people that needed to know of your salvation. And I thank you that he was not only a healer of bodies, but a healer of souls. And though his life was all too brief from our perspective, I know that the moment he stepped into your presence... He was warmly received. He was greeted with great love and affection. And he would readily say to all of us here this morning, for those who live for Christ, death really is gain. Either way, dear Lord Jesus, we win. For me to live as Christ, what a victory. To die as gain, what a victory. Thank you for the victory that is always ours in King Jesus. And now, Lord, it is my prayer that the life of Bill Wallace will be an inspiration to all of us. 
And that like Bill Wallace, we would not ask, what am I going to do with my life? No, we would ask, what would God have me do with my life? And Lord, you know my heart. I would pray that more and more and more and more would say, I believe I should be a missionary. Taking the gospel to those who've never heard. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Yes, even taking the gospel to places where it's dangerous. Because we really do believe. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. May that truth never escape our hearts. As long as we have opportunity to serve you, our wonderful Lord. For we make our prayer in your name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.